better. Can work on before next Sunday. Tech. Ah, oh, tech. When it's working beautifully, you don't even have to think about it. You may have noticed that our scripture readings in worship have, like the Grinch's heart, grown three sizes these days. Since we began our narrative lectionary this past fall, the scripture readings have tended to be longer than they are in the old lectionary that we used to use. And that's great because there's more context and so you can hear more of the story. And it's hard because there are always about 100 things that I want to say and there's not time to say 100 things and you probably wouldn't want to hear me say 100 things anyway. So I am going to take a page from, and I didn't tell her I was gonna do this, I'm gonna take a page from Melanie's interplay book Melanie has introduced me and others to a practice of I can talk about, where you go around in a circle and you finish the sentence I can talk about, and you don't actually talk about the thing that you're gonna talk about, you just name the thing that you could talk about. And I love this practice for lots of reasons. In sharing, it frees me to name cans of worms without having to dive into all those worms. And in listening, it leaves my curiosity peaked and leaves me wanting more. And in both cases, both in the sharing and the listening, it sometimes can lead to really fascinating conversations later that would not have otherwise happened. So, may that be true today. May it leave your curiosity peaked and wanting more. Uh, and may it lead to some fascinating conversations after. So, I can talk about how the first part of our reading from Matthew 18 has been taken as prescriptive. How churches and many Mennonite churches have derived processes around conflict that follow those steps pretty precisely. I can talk about stories I've heard from those who have survived a literal and prescriptive rendering of Matthew 18 in Mennonite communities. Stories of those who have been abused, frankly by literal prescriptive renderings of this text, primarily because of a failure to consider power differentials. I can talk about the tears that I have witnessed from those who have survived such violent and violating processes. I can talk about how I think there's still some wisdom here for us, despite the abusive ways that it's been used in some communities, but how weary it makes me to mine for wisdom through layers of misuse and abuse and harm. Just get tired of it. I can talk about how it tickles my imagination to read what sounds like a slam from Jesus so at the end of that whole Matthew 18 process, if that person still doesn't listen to you, then treat them like a Gentile or a tax collector. So it sounds like a slam. But then to recall just how Jesus treated Gentiles and tax collectors <laughs> by going to their house for tea or bread and wine or huge feasts. I can talk about how that tickles my imagination. 
I can talk about the experience of keeping someone bound in my heart, a hard someone, and how that keeps me bound. I'm not sure about heaven, but how it keeps me bound. How keeping someone on a hook inside of me generally causes me more damage than them. I can talk about some whiplash in reading this text. Uh, so first, that if any two of us agree about anything and then ask for it, whatever it might be, it will be granted to us. Huh? No. <laughs> and then immediately on the heels of it, when two or three of you are gathered in my name, I'm there with you. Ah, yes. Beautiful. A favorite. I can talk about cherry-picking verses I like from among others I don't. I can talk about 70 times 7 forgiveness, sounding like an all-or-nothing approach to forgiveness that I will always fail at. I can talk about a completely new thought about 70 times 7 forgiveness this week, thanks to a fellow pastor in my text study that all of a sudden made this impossible teaching from Jesus. I mean, how could we ever live up to that standard of forgiving 70 times 7 times? That made it shift from that and feel less like a recipe for certain failure and more like an act of compassion on the part of Jesus. I can talk about a new liberating read on 70 times 7 forgiveness. I can talk about how hard forgiveness is. Impossibly hard. I can talk about how in my experience, forgiveness is almost never once and done. But how even when I'm ready to forgive, even when I want to forgive, I'm eager to forgive, especially for the big stuff, I find that I have to keep forgiving and forgiving again. And sometimes when I think that I've successfully forgiven someone, a new layer opens up or something gets triggered or sparked and I wonder if I am ever going to be on the other side of it. I can talk about how 70 times 7 forgiveness might just be descriptive instead of prescriptive on the part of Jesus. What if Jesus was saying, yes, sweetie, even when you want to forgive, even when you try to forgive, even when you think you have forgiven, it is probably going to pop up for you again and again, and you are going to have to forgive again and again. It's okay, sweetie. That's normal. That's just how forgiveness works. It's 70 times 7, sweetie. You're not a failure for needing to do it 70 times 7 times. That's just how forgiveness is. I see you, sweetie, and you're all right. I can talk about imagining Jesus calling me sweetie this week. <laughs> and I can talk about how that image just delights me. <laughs> I can talk about a new liberating thought on 70 times 7 forgiveness. It's all right, sweetie, 70 times 7. I can talk about how jarring and unsavory it is to have a parable describing resource extraction and predatory taxation be set up with the words, 
the kingdom of heaven is like. I can talk about how more than jarring and more than unsavory it is to have a parable describing a king who tortures his underlings conclude with, so my heavenly Abba and God will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister or kindred from your heart. Mm. I can talk about the mental circles that I run in when I even think about talking about something as fraught as forgiveness from the pulpit or even a slightly smaller lectern. I can talk about how imperative it is that we keep should language out of our talk about forgiveness, especially when we're talking to another person about what they ought to do. I can talk about how tender both the topic and the practice of forgiveness is. I can talk about how imperative it is to stay attentive to, a, to power and to abuse of power, to safety of vulnerable ones, and to reparation of harm. I can talk about how I think I would rather take, oh, I should have counted it up, 100 hours and have a one-hour, one-on-one conversation with each of you about forgiveness than to have to come up with 10 minutes worth of things to say at you about forgiveness. I can talk about how hard it is to talk about something that is as fraught and tender as forgiveness. I can talk about more than a decade of being moved, troubled, and provoked by something I read more than a decade ago by French philosopher Jacques Derrida, who wrote, writing about the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa, wrote this. In order to approach now the very concept of forgiveness, he writes, it is necessary, it seems to me, to begin with the fact that, yes, there is the unforgivable. Is this not, in truth, the only thing to forgive? The only thing that calls for forgiveness. There is only forgiveness, if there is any, where there is the unforgivable. More than a decade now. I can talk about the liberation I've experienced in forgiving whenever I have managed it. <laughs> and how the former bishop, bishop of Edinburgh, Richard Holloway, writes words that resonate with me. In fact, it was his little book on forgiveness that had the Derrida quote that has been rattling around inside of me for more than a decade. But here he is, Richard Holloway. The refusal to forgive, he writes, can be the righteous thing to do the thing that justice commands. Nevertheless, the fact remains that the inability or refusal to forgive, though it may be morally appropriate, 
always extends the reign of the original sin into the future so that it can end up dominating a whole life or the life of a whole people. And this, forgiveness when it happens is able to remove that dead weight from our past and give us back our lives. The real beauty and power of forgiveness is that it can deliver the future to us. I can talk about how vulnerable I feel saying anything at all about forgiveness, especially publicly. I can talk about how scared I am that my words might cause harm or pain or prop up abuse. I can talk about how fiercely I believe that God's deepest longing for each of us is liberation and justice and true healing. And now I can talk about the season of Lent and the thematic thread of abundance that we noticed in our parables for this season, as Christy mentioned already, including an abundance of forgiveness in today's reading. I can talk about the liberation I've experienced on the other side of forgiving as abundant life. I can talk about an abundance that is less like piles of stuff, like more and more and more, not that kind of abundance, and more like uh, living more with less 70s and 80s Mennonite style, or more like the KonMari method. 2010s Marie Kondo style. A lot of similarities there. I can talk about the abundance we might uncover as we discern what can be stripped away, what we might release, and maybe some of that is related to forgiveness. Removing what blocks us from claiming an abundance that always was and is at the core, even in the midst of what is hard. I can talk about the season of Lent as a season of invitation into intention. And I can talk about that as liberation. Okay, enough talking about. Now, I can ask. I can ask, is there an intention that you would like to set for this season ahead of you for yourself? An invitation that you feel ready to step into that's maybe been with you for a long time or maybe feels really new? Is there something that you would like to release or claim or choose as a companion for these coming days? And I can say, blessings on you and on me and on us all as we seek and find abundance in the complexities of life as we seek and find enoughness in the midst of the uncertainties and as we seek and find may it be so joy <laughs> joy even in the midst of sorrows i can say may it be so